Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Well, we're so pleased you are joining us on Docs in a Pod today. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. We've got a very, very powerful subject we're going to be dealing with. Before we do that, let me remind folks that uh, Dr. Perry is a doctor of osteopathy, associate medical director at WellMed. She oversees several large clinics in the Optum Care in North Texas region. Dr. Perry earned her undergraduate degree from Prairie View A&M University, then went on to graduate from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. She was a National Health Service Corps scholar there. She completed her family medicine residency at Methodist Charlton Medical Center, where she served as chief resident. She's board certified by the American Osteopathic Board of Family Physicians. Dr. Perry subsequently earned a master's in public health with an emphasis in health management and policy at the University of North Texas Health Science Center. In addition, Dr. Perry is diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. And uh, Tamika, you obviously are overqualified. I don't know about that, you know, and, and especially in comparison to our esteemed guest today. So I'm so excited about today's topic. Obviously, it has a, a personal interest to me. Well, we do have a great guest today. Uh, the focus is key health concerns impacting black communities. Dr. Brooke Mobley is joining us. She's a doctor of osteopathy, the associate medical director for skilled nursing care for Florida and associate medical director for North Pinellas County Hospitalists. She served she earned her Doctor of Osteopathy degree from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine in Philadelphia, just like Dr. Perry. That's right. She completed her internal medicine residency at Nephrology Fellowship at Christiana Care Health System in Newark. You got a kidney problem, she'll fix it. Dr. Mobley is board certified in internal medicine and is the author of a book that on the day we are recording this show was just published. And it is a very powerful personal look at domestic violence. I, too, cry purple tears, written by uh, my new good friend, Dr. Brooke Mobley. Brooke, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. The topic today is health concerns impacting black communities. And off the air, you shared with me a shocking statistic about the leading cause of death uh, for many black women. Yes. So when we think about medical conditions affecting the Black community, we think of stereotypically hypertension, obesity, breast cancer, colon cancer, which are all things we can talk about at length. But domestic violence and being a victim of domestic violence is also a medical condition that is uh, impacting the Black community. And it is the leading cause of premature death in African-American women between the ages of 25 and 29 years old. And I myself entered an abusive relationship at the age of 29. I was lucky enough to become a survivor and not a victim of domestic violence. So I was not a part of that statistic, but I do understand how easily I could have become a victim. And writing my book came from a story because a young ER doctor in Chicago, who Dr. Perry can attest to, the Black community of physicians is less than six degrees of separation. Yes. And they did not know this woman personally. We were on Facebook groups together 
and one of my sorority sisters and um, PCOM alum uh, worked with her in the Chicago hospital system. And she was murdered along with a security guard and a pharmacy tech when her ex-partner came into the emergency department and opened fire on her. Wow. And I remember hearing the story and my mom calling me crying very similar to when she called me crying about Hurricane Katrina because I had just left New Orleans a year prior to Katrina hitting and just crying almost tears of joy that I had missed that catastrophic situation. And she cried to me because she said many nights she worried that she would get the phone call that I succumb to domestic violence. So I knew at that point that my story was not original, um, nor was it rare, and that it needed to be told. It's interesting when, when you talk about domestic violence, uh, no one would enter a relationship knowing they're going to be a, a, a victim of domestic violence. You don't start dating someone and marry someone necessarily who's going to beat you up. No, but unfortunately, and it's dated back to the 50s and the 60s where there were systemic racism constructors that made it very difficult for African-American men to be employed. Um, and so that puts familial stresses on these stereotypes that a man should be the provider of the house. There were certain um, systemic things that were supposed to assist the African-American community like welfare or Section 8 housing. Yes. That gave you less if you had a man in the house in that fact, would not allow you to live in Section 8 if you had a man in the house. And this was now causing for all of these single families because the families would not be able to um, exist or be able to have housing or food if there was a man in the house. So this made just no started sense. a frustration. Right. It didn't. It was literally to, that's why it's systemic racism. It was to tear down the black family. Um, and it caused for a lot of frustration and inability to provide and insecurities. And a lot of women think of domestic violence as something that hits the underserved community, the underprivileged community. But I came from the suburbs. I came from a two-parent household. My mother was married to my biological father, got divorced and remarried to my stepfather who raised me from the age of six. Um, I lived in the suburbs. We had a pool, two cars. Um, so I didn't come from a poverty-stricken community. Um, but I did watch my mother be abused by my biological father. And it was the dynamic of the household. There is no excuse for abuse. But when you see that as a, a level of love, you then think it's okay or that it's right. And there's a part of it that is subconscious. So I saw myself tolerating things in a relationship that I would have told my friends to get out of, but because I was raised in it, a part of me thought it acceptable or what was necessary for a family dynamic, especially in one where the woman made more money than the man. And so I accepted a lot of red flags that I would not have normally because it was something that I saw in my house. And unfortunately for a lot of. Mm -hmm. Stay with me just a minute. I want to let folks who just joined us know that you're listening to Docs in a Pod and listening to Dr. Brooke Mobley, doctor of osteopathy. You find her at the Optum Pasco uh, Center down in the state of Florida. With us as well, our co-host, 
Dr. Tamika Perry, yes. and she's up in Dallas. And Tamika, we're, we're delighted to have you with us as well. So, Brooke, uh, walk us through uh, how, as a physician, and, and you as well, Dr. Perry, uh, you're very sensitive to the issue of domestic violence in talking with your patients, based on your experience, obviously. Well, there is Oh, go ahead, Tamika. Oh, thank you. There, there are signs and symptoms that Brooke and I are trained to look for, and we, we definitely want the general population to look for that amongst their friends and family. And, you know, when a woman presents and she's always with her partner, if she's looking downward, if there are old bruises everywhere, um, when he's in, you're in the exam room, he's there too, and he's answering the questions for you. Ask her, when was her last menstrual period? Is she having any breast tenderness? And he's like, no, it was on the 28th. These are symptoms that we want to look for. you know. And Brooke is very correct. This is not privy to a certain socioeconomic class. This is privy to every woman. And I think, I think it's important for us to realize we are not saying that Black men are innately violent. We're saying that society has put forth constructs that is socially still put us in that slave mindset of disrupting the family. And so when you have these situations, it makes for a violent situation. Now, you know, there was statistically, I took a sociology class at Prairie View and for every, and this was 20 years ago, but for every, and I, I know I graduated from college at five because I'm only 25, but nonetheless, I digress. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, you don't look uh, a day over 27. I mean, thank you, Ron. So, yeah. uh, so, so, but for every four black women who has a bachelor's degree, there's only one black man. So, so you have these, these, this mismatch of these, um, this economic situation in the household and the men are taught that they're supposed to be the leader, the strong, they're supposed to do all this. And then they get frustrated and angry. And I'm not making any excuses for anyone, but it's a bad setup. And what people also have to remember is that domestic violence does not just impact uh, man and woman or woman and woman or man and man. And domestic violence absolutely can be woman against man as well. But it impacts if there are children involved. I conceived a child during my abusive relationship. And children who are witnessed to and or abused are three to five times, depending on the sex. Very much so. Very much so. So a female three either become abused or become the abuser. So mental health is also a disparity in the African-American community. And I truly believe it is a large factor to domestic violence. You have a lot of broken people mentally who are not getting anxiety, depression, some personality disorders being diagnosed and treated because in the African-American community, stereotypically, is you go to a therapist or a psychiatrist or a psychologist, that stigma of being crazy is negative. But it is a medical condition, no different than high blood pressure or diabetes. And right it's now. not being addressed the way that it needs to be in the community. I'd like you in just a minute to share with us your story, because most People don't want to talk about it if they were uh, in a violent relationship. Fewer people than one might imagine are willing to go public as, as you have been willing to do. And I certainly applaud and salute you for that because you'll help a whole lot of people. So we are going to find out from Dr. Brooke Mobley how and why she wrote I Too Cry Purple Tears, a book that 
is just officially published today, and we'll tell you how to get a hold of it as well. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. Dr. Perry and Dr. Mobley both went to the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine in Philadelphia, and uh, we're so pleased to have them with us today. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality healthcare with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. We're so pleased you're sticking with us today on Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. Dr. Brooke Mobley, a doctor of osteopathy, is with us. You find her in the great state of Florida. We're talking about issues involving blacks and health, women and men. And we got on the topic of domestic violence because Dr. Mobley just published a book, I Too Cry Purple Tears. Uh, tell us about how and why you wrote that book. So I wrote the book because I realized I tolerated and accepting things because I seen it in other situations and relationships. My sister and I witnessed our mother in an abusive relationship with our biological father. She is now remarried to my stepfather. I watched my sister in an abusive relationship with one of the fathers of her children. And then I, too, um, found myself in an abusive relationship and I conceived a daughter. And it was when I had that baby that I realized that I had to get out of this situation because I had to break a generational curse. I had to prevent her from seeing this as a norm so that she did not enter a relationship um, out of abuse. And my book is dedicated to my sister, who unfortunately has dealt with numerous health care disparities in the Black community. Um, my sister passed away January 11th of 2022 from breast cancer and colon cancer. Um, and my sister is was educated. She had a, worked for a Fortune 500 company. She had great medical insurance, but breast cancer, for some reason, is still killing Black women out of proportion to other races. Despite the numbers and the incidence of breast cancer going down, the numbers and incidence of African-American women being diagnosed and dying are increasing. Now, is that, a function, is that a function of uh, a discriminatory health care being provided in, in the community, not getting uh, the care that might be needed, not getting diagnosed? Yes, that is a large factor of it. Um, also, the distrust of patients and providers. Um, we live in a community where the Tuskegee Airmen trial is still very big in our heads. And there are certain medications that work well or certain treatments that work well for one race that doesn't work for African-Americans. But we can't get African-American people to want to be a part of a study. And why? Because we were used, right. unbeknownst to ourselves, 
with stuff like syphilis. And so we remember those things. And so there is a distrust for healthcare providers. And one of the ways to get over that is to see more providers who look like yourself. We make up 12 to 15% of the population, depending on what year or month you're looking at it. And African-American physicians still make up only two to 3% of physicians. Wow. You make it That itself is a disparity. Excellent point, Brooke. My own grandpa, who's passed away now, one of my favorite guys in the entire world. It wasn't until the day, the, the year before he died, actually to get, got him to get a flu shot because year after year, he was like, I don't know. These were his exact words. I don't know what those white folks were putting in me. Those were his exact words. And he would bring up Tuskegee. He would bring up other incidences in, you know, throughout our, our history where Black people were subject to experiments. Now, so, if- for, for those who are listening uh, who don't know what Tuskegee is, and unfortunately in some states like Florida, uh, they're eliminating the kind of teaching in schools that yeah. would let people know what it was. Tell us That's about Tuskegee. podcast, Ron. I know. Tamika, when you say Tuskegee, what do you mean? I'm going to let go ahead, Dr. Perry. No, no, no. I'm going to let no. you go ahead and... So um, Tuskegee, they took the Tuskegee Airmen, which were a very specialized group of African-American men winning a war for us. And unbeknownst to them, they were giving them syphilis to see what the effects and complications were going to be of this disease, which many people don't know have three different levels. And on a tertiary level can be very catastrophic and fatal. It can affect the brain. And you were taking these specialized, intelligent men who volunteered themselves to a war and involuntarily giving them a very vile disease just to see how it would affect. And during the course of this experiment, penicillin came to be. They purposely withheld the treatment and told the gentleman, if you take it, it may hurt you. And this experiment went on well until the 70s, after I was born. Wow. Well into, yes. Until someone realized in the government, I think that we're still conducting this experiment on these men. So many of these men died from tertiary syphilis, which is the third stage. They died of dementia, brain disease, didn't know what was going on. I mean, it was horrible. It's obscene. It's obscene for saying how does syphilis function different in the black body than it would anyone else? It's obscene. And it goes very simple to there are hypertension is another clinical diagnosis that affects black or African-American people out of proportion to other things. And it's because we know know genetically there are certain hormones like renin that affects African-American people different. And we know that there are blood pressure medications that may be very effective to non-Black patients that is not going to be effective for African-Americans. But we cannot get enough African-American people to be a part of the study so that we can learn what medications would actually work better on the African-American community. And hypertension is something that, one, is affected by obesity, which is another medical condition that is a a disparity for the Black community. Um, Heart disease, another diagnosis that is a disparity. It can lead to diabetes. Obesity can lead to hypertension. Obesity can lead to diabetes. 
Hypertension can lead to heart disease. Heart disease can lead to kidney disease. So we're talking about a systemic flow that you can watch from the time that you have a young child in an urban community who cannot get fresh vegetables, but who can go to the corner bodega and get what is called a hug, which is literally just sugar and water for 25 cents and a bag of chips for 25 cents, but cannot get a banana for less than a dollar and 18 cents. And they wonder why they are obese. It is because their communities are filled with artificial prepackaged sugary foods and drinks, but that is all that they can afford or all that is accessible. If you are in an urban community and you do not have a car or you cannot afford public transportation, if you cannot walk to a grocery store that has healthy food, you are already starting your child off as a disparity. So now that young child is obese and their parent is learning how to cook with what they can provide financially. So we're talking about boxed macaroni and cheese. We're talking about a meat that are smoked with lots of sodium, eating pork rather than chicken because it is more affordable. You haven't now, this is how they have learned to cook. These are the things that they love to do. And even if they now can afford other things, this is what their taste buds crave. That's what you grew up with. So now they're an obese adult. Exactly. Now they're an obese adult with high blood pressure put on a medication that typically helps everybody else that is not helping them. So so now they think, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean but, to interrupt. Uh, no, no, you're so fine. as a practitioner, uh, both of you, when you have patients who come through uh, your clinics who may happen to be African-American, uh, there are major areas that you are concerned about that you try to talk to them about. Absolutely, absolutely. And Brooke and I try to explain that certain medications function different in different folks and that these medications may or may not be in your best interest. And and that is more palatable coming from a person who um, comes from that community. It looks like them. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it comes as simple as I was a nephrologist or a kidney doctor in Lake City, Florida, very rural. And Unfortunately, I felt like those providers really did not care about that patient population because I would have a very thorough interview with my patients with chronic kidney disease. And I said, well, have you removed, have they told you about what kind of diet you should have? And they would say, yeah, they told me to cut sodium out my diet, but I don't even eat sodium. And I said, honey, that's salt. Yes, that's that, salt. That is salt. <laughs> that's a salt. Yeah, they think of it as a salt shaker. And yes. they, they're, they're thinking, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I don't buy anything with sodium. But it's because it's as simple as talking to somebody on the level that they're going to understand. And I've had so many patients where they just decrease their level of salt and their blood pressure ratings go down and I decrease their blood pressure medications, showing them how to increase physical activity without a $34 membership to a gym. You can do exercises in your chair. You can do exercises. Every time a commercial breaks comes on, I want you to take your arms and do this this. until the commercial break. Yeah, those who are listening don't see you do this, but you're raising your arms up and above your head. (laughs) For those who are listening, we see each other via Zoom, uh, but you're just hearing our little dulcet voices. So chair exercise, (laughs) raise those arms. It's like doing the wave alone in your chair. Exactly. Yes. And if if you do it for a 60-minute show, you have 20 minutes worth of commercials. If you do 20 minutes of physical activity while your commercials are on, you are hitting a target for the American Heart Association and how to increase cardiac activity. That's the best description I've had yet of how you can get those 20 minutes in a day. Thank you. 
Thank I had you. to truly think about how to reach a population that couldn't go to a gym. Now, before didn't know, you know, the names, the ologies and the odiums that we paid our medical education for, you should talk to all patients on a fourth grade reading level. And then while you're talking to them, if you understand that you can talk to them on a higher level, then you go there, but start at fourth grade so that then you're not leaving certain people behind. And unfortunately in the black community, we have learned how to shake our head. Yes. Even when we do not understand a word that someone is saying, because you know, I'm so so pleased, so pleased to hear you say that in uh, Bear County, Texas, where I live, San Antonio, the local Bear County Health Collaborative runs an annual health literacy class yes. for healthcare providers, focusing on exactly what you're talking about. How do you communicate with patients? How do you use language they understand? And how do you make sure they understand what they're saying? Now, uh, Dr. Mobley, we could go on for another three hours, but we only have a minute left. Before okay. we go, how do we get a hold of your book, I Too Cry Purple Tears? So I Too Cry Purple Tears is available on Amazon.com. You just put the title in, the book pops up, and you're able to put it in your Amazon cart. And we know that the community, no matter what the community is, knows Amazon.com. <laughs> who, should read your, who should read your book? Everybody should read my book. Because it not only helps those who may have encountered um, abuse, it sometimes will also help someone who may have abusive tendencies see themselves through a mirror to try to attempt and get the help that they need to kind of be able to combat the feelings that they have that may make them aggressive. And then also anybody can read it and potentially help someone else in an abusive situation. Perfect. Thank you so much. I too cry purple tears. We got to get you back again, Dr. Mobley. Uh, you're a fabulous I'm guest. All for and, it. and thank you to Dr. Tamika Perry, our co-host. Yes. Thanks for listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron. We will talk with you soon. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker, and associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron.